All right, this morning now we're going to look at Psalm 119, and uh, we're going to look at eight verses. Um, I have to make a couple of announcements with regards to your notes on the back. Um, It's not a perfect outline here. I'm kind of deviating from it. it. It does still hold a little bit. It's very basic, but you'll have to maybe adjust as you write notes if you're writing notes this morning. So, Psalm 119, 1 to 8, and it's on page 512, page 512 of your Bibles. And before we look at the scriptures, uh, I'd like to pray. Gracious Lord, we come to you once more to stand before your word, to listen to what the text has to say to us, the word of God. And we'd ask you, God, that the Holy Spirit would take these words and impact our hearts. And I pray for each one here, Lord, that the power of the Spirit will be upon them, that they could be considered one of the blessed. And so, God, we ask you, God, to work in people's hearts this morning and maybe change someone's heart to bring them to, to faith. And so, God, we'd ask you, Lord, to do that work, that great work of renewal in our hearts. We pray for Matt and Angela who are away this morning as well, just to bless them. And just to bless me as I present uh, material that, that you laid upon my heart. And so we ask you, God, for your hand upon us now. In Jesus' name, amen. just want to look at something here first. All right. So um, today's, uh, the title for today's, uh, as you can see, uh, there's a big difference between spiritual renewal. I've got spiritual renewal for 2016. Um, setting the path to a new spiritual spiritual direction. And it's Psalm 119, 1 to 8. And um, what did I want to say about that? I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little nervous. Um, so anyhow, um, if anything this morning, um, as we look at the Scripture, if there's anything that I want you to take away this morning, is, is a very profound truth. It's deep. Um, but very, very profound um, in the sense that we're going to be talking about blessedness. How about let's just read the text, and then I want to just make a few comments about uh, this matter of blessedness. Psalm 119, 1-8 reads, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I will not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Lord, bless your word this morning. Yeah, okay, I remember what I was going to say. Um, as Matt was uh, preached last week about looking backwards, we're looking forward. So I wanted to um, focus on the idea of newness, right? Uh, you, know, you know that picture of uh, the, the old man uh, leaving, the, the, he's the old year, 2015, and the baby into 2016. We're in a new year, and, um, and I would like us to start off the new year with a... With, um, in the right direction. So, you know, it's wonderful that God has made life daily. 
um, that every day is a new day and that we can, that everything is fresh, that we can start our lives new every day. Isn't that kind of a great thing that we, that, that there's this freshness of every day? And when it comes to a spiritual renewal, um, today could be the first day of, of the rest of your life. It could be the first day of, of your, your spiritual life. And this is, this is a, a great thing that God has given to us. He's made life daily and through seasons, too. And so, like, we have months and we have years, too. So here we are starting a new year. Now, I want to just share with you my New Year's resolution that I, that I was able to keep this year. And that was um, to start reading through the Old Testament. And I thought maybe I would get right through to the Old Testament. I started it last January at the first, and now I'm into Second Chronicles. And I've, I've, uh, by the power of God and by His help, I've been able to, to keep that resolution. And this is one thing that when you, you know, I don't know if you make resolutions or, you know, that you hear about this. I don't think maybe most people make, uh, New Year's resolutions, maybe a few, they want to exercise or, or whatever. But if you make a resolution that God wants you to do, like get into the scriptures, to um, whatever it may be that to empower you, he, he has so many things he wants you to do. And if you make a resolution to choose to do that and depend on him to do it, you're going to be able to do it. And that's really quite a a promising thing with regards to this whole matter of resolutions. Anyhow, that's a little bit of a segue into our, into our sermon. So, as we looked at Psalm, or we've read Psalm 119, 1-8, as I was saying, there's one thing that I would like you to take away from this message today, is this matter of blessedness. Now, when you look at verse 1, it says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. If you look carefully at this, this section, you see quite a, an amazing aspect of living a godly life. It's very full of, of blamelessness. Notice that it says to be blameless, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, who is who, able to do this who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. When I read things like that, I think, I can't do that. That's absolutely impossible for me to do. But as I was saying about making a resolution that God wants you to do, because here it is in Scripture that it's possible to do it, maybe, but how can we do it? And the key is that word blessed. Okay, here's the concept that I want to get through to you today. And if you quit, shut down after this, if you get that, you're good. Blessedness is not the result of living a, blessed, uh, living a blameless life, okay? Blessedness is not a result of living a, blessed, uh, a blameless life, okay? What that is saying is that if you live a blameless life, you will be blessed, but it's completely the other way around. In order to live a blameless life, you must be blessed. This is the doctrine of God. I don't know what the doctrine would be, but the doctrine of regeneration. This is a doctrine that that we need to have the Spirit of God in us 
so that we can do these things like live, live a blameless life. I've got to make sure I don't step over here. I can remember I was preaching in Moss Banks in Saskatchewan, and right after the sermon, I didn't look down, and I fell down the stairs. So I've got to be careful here. And I got these new glasses, so I don't can't see myself, see where I'm going. So I got to be careful. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I want to get at you here. I want to get close to you. So if you've got that concept into your mind, that's what you need to know when you read this text. Blessedness is the cause of a blameless life, not the result of it. The equivalent we find in, in Matthew 5 is makarios is another, is, a, is the Greek form, and we see it in Matthew 5 where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who, um, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the gentle, blessed, and, and on and on. And again, it's the blessedness is the cause of all of these things. So the idea of blessedness is that if you have Jesus in your heart, you are blessed because God has blessed you, not because you did something to merit that, okay? And that's where salvation comes. Salvation is a gift of God, and it is a free gift of God. This is the doctrine of grace, that you are saved by grace, through, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, and not by any works that you do brings you to a place of blessedness. The blessedness comes from God, and then the result of that is a blameless life. You got that? Okay, you can go home. <laughs> well, we're going to look at the text here, and we're going to go a little further here. So as I was thinking of talking about newness, um, I have, I've entitled various different sections on some parts. So um, looking at verses 1 to 3... It's a matter of experience, the new creation. So this matter of regeneration, that's a theological term that actually talks about the new creation. Uh, you're familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. And, and looking and studying that little part, a new creature, is something that is, has never existed before. And you've lived your life. And when you become a Christian, if you were to become a Christian today, it, it is a complete new creation, something that has never existed before in your life, something that is, is a reality of the Spirit coming to live in you. There's some different terms, being born of the Spirit. We talk about being born again, restoration of the soul, being even in some other terms that were transferred from darkness to light um, and from death to life. This is this matter of blessedness or the new birth. Um, alienation from God. And it, 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 it speaks of, if you're unregenerated, it speaks of being alienated in your relationship with God. So if you've never become a Christian, you are alienated from God and have no relationship with him. And that's what the Bible speaks of being a nat the man who's natural or unregenerate. Um, it's a spiritual condition of spiritual death is one who's unregenerated. But one who has blessed is one who holds spiritual life. Because his relationship with God has now been um, brought. Uh, or we become friends with God. 
rather than enemies of God. And that's another term that we find in the Bible is the word enmity. If you've ever come across that, if you read the New American Standard Bible, you'll, you'll see that word quite a bit, enmity, which is the idea of being an, an enemy of God. And you may be in that condition today, but God promises to come. If you want to become a Christian, he will help you do that. Now, I've got to do something. Computers, eh? All right. So the new birth takes place when you believe in Jesus Christ. And today, if Jesus is speaking to your heart today, you could become a regenerate person. You could become a blessed person, someone whom the Holy Spirit comes to occupy your soul. And now everything in this passage hinges on the necessity of this new birth. So if you're reading anywhere in the Bible and you say, well, okay, I want to do that. I want to make a resolution to live a blameless life. As I've already said, that's impossible to do unless you are born again. So blessedness, when we look at the passage, the most important thing about it and all of Christianity is of this aspect of being born again in order to live a blameless life. And everything in this passage implies this truth. Blamelessness is an impossibility without God empowering us. So let's look at the verse. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who, do, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. And as we've said, blessedness, another way of defining it, is being in a favorable disposition before God. It's being able, as I was saying, uh, being a friend with God, being close to God, and having a favorable disposition. An unfavorable disposition would be that of an enemy of God. How does one become into the favorable disposition of God before uh, God? And it's by being born again. I'm repeating myself. I'm kind of following my notes here. Um, Anyhow, I'll continue on here. What does it mean to be blameless, to be perfect? The word blameless means to be perfect or innocent or godly. Again, when you just define it like that, who is innocent? Who is godly? Who is perfect? Nobody. And as we look at this, as I was studying this passage, what, what struck me so much is are these words about the Lord's testimonies, his commandments, his precepts, his statutes, that... All of these things that God has laid out have to be obeyed in a perfect manner. So we look at this text and you say, this is absolutely impossible to do. And we come to discover, well, in order to do that, you need to be born again. And one of the things that um, another kind of interesting theology that, that I have come across in my thoughts as I think about the Christian life is that, that the... Um, that Jesus, when you become born again, the Spirit of God is actually living out the law of God on your behalf. And Romans 8 reflects that, that Romans 8, 1 to 4, it speaks of that, of that the Spirit of God is, is living the law um, accord, and is doing it in you and achieving it for you. So this perfection aspect that that is that he's talking about um, is the Holy Spirit doing it for you. 
Now, I'm throwing you a whole bunch of various different theologies that I hope that you'll be able, again, that's one that you need to get to. Okay, wake up. You, you want to get that one too, okay? Is this matter of the Spirit of God living out the law on a daily basis on your behalf? And so when you live your Christian life, you live not by the law but by the Holy Spirit, right? You look to Him for help. So, okay. That's a good one, I think. A blameless person is one who, and, and getting back to the text, well, a blameless person is someone who values godliness. Again, if you are a person who does not value godliness, then you have a problem. You're not regenerate. If you do value good godliness, to be like God, that's what godliness refers to, then um, that's evidence that the Spirit of God is in you. The problem with mankind is that an unregenerate man uh, minimally, at, at the very least, is indifferent to the things of God and, and at the most hates God. That's the unregenerate person. At, at the very minimum, is just indifferent to these things. But at the most, hates God. And we see this in the world today. I mean, our culture is just filled with hatred towards God and to godly values. They do not regard God because they are spiritually dead. Now, First uh, Corinthians, uh, the next slide, First Corinthians two fourteen, gives us this information. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we see a problem that if you're unregenerate and do not have Jesus. You don't understand these things. You, people talk about Jesus and all about the cross and communion and all that. It just doesn't make sense to them. Why do you do this? Why do you come Sunday morning and worship this God whom you do not see? Like, this is kind of the thinking of an unregenerate man. Because it's foolishness to him. See, do not understand it. But when you become a believer, then you start to understand these things. You go, aha, I see this. Because you're Eyes have been opened to the truth of what it is. Um, and what does the text tell us as to how one establishes and maintains a blameless values? And it says, by walking according to the law of the Lord. This is another, another principle number three. Sorry, wake up again. The principle number three. Maybe you're going to have to stay awake for the whole sermon. Uh, principle number three is that that we're called upon to work out our salvation. Like, even though you're saved and that, you're, that God has given you eternal life, um, you still have to do something. And what he's saying here is that what, in order to feed the aspect of blamelessness, you need to take in the word of God. You need to walk according to the, the, the law of the Lord. Now, the word law just simply means instructions. It's not the law. This, sometimes people talk about this. So, so, oh, so I need to live by the law. Isn't that legal kind of keeping, law keeping? No, the word here is the word Torah, which really just simply means God's instructions. And that's why we have the Bible. That's why we read the Bible. Even as Christians, we should read the Bible and study theology because God has instructions that, he, that we need to have in order to live the Christian life. The whole matter, I'm going to use the word law, the law of grace. What is one of the laws that we find in grace? What do you have to do in order to 
obtain grace? Anybody? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a law. And it's absolute. You can't do, you can't get away from it. If you want to receive grace, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a law. Again, if you were to go back to Romans 8, I don't have time to go there, but it says, uh, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has freed you from the law of sin and death. Here he's using the word law twice. And one has to do with the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Another one has to do with death. So it's laws, like physics, right? It's physics. Physics are laws of the universe, right? And there's a law of grace. And that law, one of those laws would be to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do you see that? Right? So law is not a bad word. It's just simply instructions. And we need to distinguish between a sort of legalistic form of law keeping from what the Bible says about loving and serving God's law. God's law is simply the stipulations given to his people in order to instruct them in the way of faith. So as you look at this and you see this, walking by the law of the Lord, it's just simply instructions. All through the Old Testament, and particularly in the Psalms, we we discover that there is joy and freedom in living by the law of God. If you're familiar with Psalm 19, it says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, and are more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey to the soul. And again, we come back to this aspect of a new creation. In order for you to say that, you have to have the Spirit of God. You have to be one of the blessed. And many people will say, like I, I read the Bible and all it, it's supposed to be honey to my soul. I find it's like gravel because it's so hard to read and difficult. And, and it's, but it, but at, when the Spirit of God comes into you, he enlivens this book for it to be the guidance and instructions for faith. So in order to just to say what the psalmist says in, 19, in, ver, in chapter 19, you have to be, have that new creation. Um, God's law or word is like an owner's manual for faith, given to us to lead us into a relationship with God. And there's another verse there, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It helps to guide me in our, in our path. So walking by the law of the Lord will produce, will feed the idea of blamelessness, right? So we have to do something in order to be blameless. But our blamelessness is based upon the blessedness of of the Spirit living within us. So we find that blessedness is a spiritual condition in which one enjoys the blameless way who walk in it, and conduct, which is another way of conducting your life, how you live your life, the direction that you're following, and, and according, in accordance with God's law. So now I'm going to say God's law as kind of a, just as a, as a catchphrase for all of these aspects here in Psalms, which have to do with testimonies, precepts, statutes, etc. The question, the question is, does this characterize you? Do you value godliness? Do you live and love and serve God's law? These are very important questions that each of us have to ask ourselves. Do I love God's law? Do I love God's word? Do I love to spend time with God's people in worship? Do I love to pray? 
All of these things are indicative of whether or not you are a Christian or not. Now, I don't want to confuse you because these things are difficult. Even as Christians, we still struggle with these things. But in general, is your life in a pathway of godliness and seeking out God? So that, these are, this is a question I, I, you need to ask yourself. I quoted 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So there's this new creation or a new creature which speaks of a new spiritual reality that has never existed before. And when you experience the new birth, you experience a reality that has never existed in your life before. A new reality, a new way of living, a new direction, a new desires to love and serve God. I hope that that will be the case for you. Blessed are those, second verse, blessed are those who who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Here again, another impossible thing if we do it on our our own. We just can't do it on our own. Um, Blessedness comes when we keep God's testimonies. It's similar to walking in the law of the Lord. Um, it means to guard or to obey, to carefully guard God's testimonies. And there's places in the Proverbs about hiding the word in your heart. Do you do that? Do you memorize the word of God? Do you study the word of God? Um, and is it sweet to your soul? Um, it's to, to know them and keep them close to our hearts, which requires us to always have them before before us. And then, then in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, there's this, there's this command that's issued to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9. says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontless before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Is that your household? Is that the way you live your life? I can remember when I first became a Christian, uh, the, my boss. It was really interesting that when I became a Christian in 1985, March 29th, 1985, I know the exact date. I had started a new job across the country into New Brunswick. And... Um, I gave my life to Christ on a Friday night. I can remember it. March 29th. I think you'll have to look it up. Check your computer and see if that was a Friday. I think it was on the weekend. Monday morning, I walk in. My immediate supervisor starts witnessing to me about being a Christian. And I'm going, I just kind of did this like two days ago. And, and it's amazing that God put me into this relationship with this guy. And I, he took me to a Baptist church. And I spent the rest of my time in New Brunswick at that very church, eight years of it. Isn't it amazing how God did that work? But what I wanted to say about Fernand, his name was Fernand. He was a strongly French guy, like really, really French guy from Valbelaire in Quebec. And he, he was so fanatical about the word of God, which was really good for me. And when you went into his house, there were pieces of paper with scriptures written on, taped on, on the walls. Like, passages. Like, it's just like, you're crazy, but it's a good crazy, you know? He's got the scriptures. Right when he gets up on the bed, there's a this, there's this, uh, piece of paper with scriptures scribbled on it. Really something. 
Are you like that? Do you bind it uh, upon your hand and on the frontlets? You know, you see those Jewish people with the little square box on the, the... They take this literally. You know, they have... In that little box is the Torah, I think. Or uh, like the five books of Moses or something. Like, I don't know how they got it that small. It must be a microchip or something like that. But... Or maybe it's just, I, I don't know, um, maybe you know more. I didn't, I didn't study, but maybe it's just a, the Ten Commandments in there. I, I'm not sure. But they got it right there on their forehead. And um, because they, they, they take this literally, that, uh, to have it on the frontlets of, of their eyes, of their, between their eyes and, and on the doorposts of their house. So this is an evidence of whether or not you are a blessed person before God. Uh, also notice in the second stanza, in verse 2, indicates that the blessedness comes in seeking God, in seeking Him. Notice that he says, blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. Okay, principle number four. Okay, principle number four is that our faith is not just in a, in a book. It's in a person. We, we seek to know Him with our whole heart. And, and the idea of seeking has to do with studying or to investigate or to inquire. I want to know God. Okay, I'm going to come to your prayer meeting so I can know God. It's, I want to study this idea of knowing God. I want to know God. I'm going to study him. Okay, what's his book? Oh, his Bible. Okay, I'm going to read, him. I'm going to read everything about him because I want to know him, right? And um, so this idea of inquiry making an investigation. That's why we go to small group, so I can know him and know his people and know how, how does God work in your life. Wow, that's cool. That's really neat. So it's that desire to inquire of him. Uh, studying God means not only knowing who he is in terms of his character and attributes, which is a very important thing. I mean, you cannot know God unless you know about God. You need to have the Word of God so that this tells us about who He is as a person. And um, we need to have that. But it's to embrace a study of God means to knowing, to knowing Him through prayer and worship. So we see this balance of, of academia, of study, and relationship with, with, with God. And it's communing with Him through the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people who... Spend time in reading the Bible. I'll tell you another story. Is um, I knew a guy in New Brunswick, and he was a, a hardcore um, Pentecostal. Um, anyhow, <laughs> he was a hardcore Pentecostal guy, and um, he was involved in Bible memorization. Uh, he taught kids to do it, and they got into competitions uh, of with this Bible memory thing. And, um, but in his life, it didn't reflect really the truth of God. Like, you didn't see godliness in him. He knew, he could quote any passage, you know, okay, quote the book of First John. He could do it. He could do it. But it didn't reach here, which was, which is what has to happen. If you are an academic person, person or even a person who like gets interested in eschatology and the end times and all that kind of thing well, let's let's do a study on the book of revelation you know which is an extremely difficult book to study uh, and and people are all involved or in different theologies i've met people who just are ah, millennialists that's a, a a way of thinking eschatology and they're just crazy about it 
but their life does not reflect godliness. Um, the word of God has to have that effect. There's this balance. You need to know about God, but you also need to know him. And he's a holy God and communing with him, with him through the Holy Spirit. You're going to meet people who are just sweet because they know God. Their, 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 their knowledge is of him. And, and it's also backed up with the knowledge of God as well. John 5.39, Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness about me. So this idea of, uh, that, that Jesus is saying that, um, that the scriptures alone are not going to save you. I save you. Jesus saves you. So there's this personal aspect. We need to learn that God is a person, not a set of rules. And Romans 10, 4, it says that too, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Our face is in the person of Christ, not in the law. It's in the person of Christ. Okay, I better get moving. We've got a couple of verses yet to do. Blessed are those who seek him with their whole heart. The pursuit to know God also requires a complete and total discipline in the search for him. Here again, we get this, this aspect that it's not part of your heart. It's your whole heart. God doesn't want part of your heart. Um, we had mentioned this one time in my Sunday school, is that um, we think of our faith... I've got to take these glasses off for a second. Director, I'm crazy. We think of our faith like a pie, or our life as a pie, right? And our relationship with God and our service and worship in the church is a piece of that pie. But that is not what Christianity says. Jesus says, you have to give me the whole pie. The whole pie. So everything in your life has to reflect a walk with God. It has to, God has to be in everything. You have to surrender your whole heart, not part of it. And, and this is something that maybe people don't understand. That their faith is like, okay, well, it's a Sunday morning thing or a Wednesday night or worship team or whatever. And then I've got the rest of my life that I do. And it's just a part of it. God says that's substandard. That is not what Christianity is. Jesus said that if you desire to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. That is a tough, a tough thing to do. And, like Jesus, and there's another one. Remember, he says, the way to life is narrow, and few find it. I, I wonder how many people here have found it. Jesus said, few find it. Not, not everybody. It's not the masses of, of Joel Osteen's church or, or this church or any church are all Christians. Find that way to life. It's narrow, and few find it. I hope that you will take the decision to decide this year that you're going to find that narrow way and find, find it and be able to give yourself wholeheartedly to, to him. Knowing and serving God requires no less than a complete, lifelong, complete commitment to the pursuit. It places it at its, at its highest priorities. And I think of, of, John, of Matthew 6.33 where Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, it's not saying that, that you have to sell everything you are and go into a mountain and become a monk. This is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that 
He is the priority of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. So, like, and I take that literally. First thing in the morning, I spend time with God in his word so that everything that I do that day is reflected on my relationship with him. And, and that's what I, I, I would challenge you to do that, to, to take time every morning and read the scripture somehow and call on God. And you know what? That will change your life. Really, we think it's not going to... Even now, I'll go, I'll, I'll get up in the morning and I'll be tired. I'll open up the scriptures and I'm thinking, oh man, God, I don't know if you can change what's going on in my heart. But then I start reading the scriptures and I call in on him and suddenly there's a change. There's something different going on here that is totally foreign to what's going on here. God has that power to do that, to change your life. And he does it through your reading of scripture. And you, you need to do it. Don't take lightly your, your Bible reading. Don't take light. It. It's, it's extremely important. The author of the book of Proverbs gives us insight as to the level of intensity demanded upon us in order to search out and discover the knowledge of God. It says that we are to treasure up God's commandments, to incline our heart to understanding, to cry out for understanding, to seek it for silver and search for it as hidden treasure. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44, that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. This is to say that the Christian life is no less than giving our whole life in the pursuit of knowing God. He buys the field. He sells everything he has in order to buy the field to get that treasure. Are you like that? Ready to give it all up in order to find God. Boy, I got ten minutes to finish this passage. Let's move on. And those who, and then verse 3, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Those who do no wrong are those who are in the work of building righteousness in their lives. It's kind of in a negative sense, who do no wrong. Or in the opposite, to do wrong would be somebody who builds and works at unrighteousness, at sin, who builds a life around sin. And to do no, uh, no wrong is to be a person who builds and forges a life of righteousness and walks in his way. Ephesians 5.8 says, Walk as children of light and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Here's, here's another very important principle of the Christian life. It's not lived in neutrality. It's not done in isolation. Our Christian life demands proactivity, too. That says to expose them. Uh, Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, that what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Blessed godly living is not a neutral kind of life. It requires being proactive in doing no wrong, upholding justice to the needy and oppressed. So that, that is a part of what it means to be a Christian. The Bible says that anyone who is the blessed of God are those whom God has specially chosen to receive the Holy Spirit. And those who possess the Holy Spirit will do no wrong. And it's interesting that in 1 John 3, 9, it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed 
abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What's that saying? Is it, what, are you saying then that Christians don't sin? No, that's not the case. Because we all know that we sin. If you're a believer, you sin. And constantly having to go to God for repentance. Aren't we? Constantly. And, and the more and deeper I go in this faith, the more I feel this lostness, or not so much a lostness, but my inability to please God. It, 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 it um, is something that overwhelms me. But that's a, that's a good thing because it causes me to, dr- to, run, to run to God. But generally speaking, who I, I don't sin in the sin, sense. I'm not forging a life of sin. I'm walking in a direction that I want to find godliness. I, I've embarked in that, that process. And I want to lead a life that, that does that. And so... I use myself as an example um, because that's all I know um, is myself. So this idea of being a Christian means that you will not forge a life or, or build a life around sin. Okay, verses 4 and 5 is both a declaration. The rest of it's going to go quickly here. Um, the second item here is determining a res- new resolve. Okay, here's this idea of a resolution, a new resolution, a new resolve. He says, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Wow. Your commandments will, and precepts have to be kept diligently and perfectly. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Oh, Lord. It's like a prayer to God. I realize that they have to be perfectly kept, but I can't. Oh, please help me to be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He declares that keeping or obeying the precepts of God are not given as an option, but as a command. He uses the imperative. You have commanded. Um, Absolute singularity of personal devotion to God is a non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. So the idea, as I was saying about the pie example, um, a full and complete commitment of your life to God is, it's a black and white issue, really, to be a Christian, to follow Christ. It is a black and white issue. It's not part of your life. It is your whole life. It's non-negotiable. It must be kept or pursued diligently, which echoes the same idea of wholehearted study and investigation of God. And again, back in Deuteronomy 6.5, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul all your mind. I don't know if that, if that resonates with you. I hope that does. I hope I'm getting that across, this idea of complete and total commitment. It means jumping in with both feet and completely giving yourself to it. I, I think of when Jesus made these demands in John, that when he, he finished speaking in John 6, that many, when they realized what this was about, they, they, did not, they stopped following him. Because they realized what it meant. It meant a full and complete commitment of a life. And they said, no, we're not going to have anything to do with that. We're going to turn away and do something different. We're not going to follow you. John 15, 4 to 5, gives us the importance of abiding in Jesus. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So going back to the text, and if I want to live out verses 1 to 8, I have to have Jesus. And I think I've nailed that point this morning. The most important thing is that of this new creation, but a new resolve in that the importance of committing yourself to this whole thing. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast. Dear God, please help me make my ways steadfast in keeping your statutes. I cannot do it on my own. I need you. Um, so that was a new resolve. Uh, the, sec- the third point, adopting a new self-image. Verse 6, Then I shall be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Uh, the benefit of fixing your eyes on the commandments of God is that God will honor your efforts and will put uh, a high esteem among others. I, I know people who... The people that I respect deeply are those who love Jesus. I, I've... I meet people who love God. I respect you, but I look at a person who loves God and loves his word in a different kind of light. I highly esteem them. And it's it's interesting that those who are Christians in your workplace are the ones that are highly esteemed by others. When you're in trouble, if you, you notice that the people who say they hate God, when they run into trouble, they go to the Christian if they know that they're a Christian. Because they feel that they have the answer to, to, their, to, to their problems. We learn that Jesus, and, and Jesus Christ, who is the epitome of one who uh, obeyed God and kept his, kept his law, was not one who was put to shame. It says that he uh, grew in favor with God and man. Why? Because he was obedient. Because, first of all, he was the son of God, first of all. But also, this... Obedience just emanated from him as a person. He obeyed God's and fixed his eyes on all of God's commandments. Fixing our eyes on God's commandments is what was in the mind of Paul when he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Um, I wanted to add this other little point about self-image, a new self-image is adopting a new self-image, is if you go to Romans chapter 12, 2 and 3, or 3, yeah, 2 and 3, um, verse 3 it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And the word of God, God's laws, is like a mirror to you. Now, if you're a person who has a low self-esteem, God's word is going to elevate that. If you're a person full of pride, he's going to bring it down. He's going to bring it to a correct view of who you are. Do you want to know who you are, really who you are? Do you, do you want to have a good self-esteem? Do, do you sense that you have pride and that you need to be lowered a bit? God's word will do that in your life. He'll give you a correct self image. Now we're getting into psychology. You want to have a healthy self-image. Get into the Word of God and God will bring that to a right balance. Do you get that? Not to think more highly than they ought to, but to think with sober judgment. And that's another way of saying, don't think too lowly of yourself. And a lot of us, we kick ourselves, knock ourselves down. 
and it does raise us up. And so back to Psalm 119. Fixing your eyes on all your commandments will not bring you to shame. Paul says that in order to have the capacity to think about ourselves with sober judgment, our minds must be renewed. Spiritual mind renewal is the means of how God transforms our lives. In addition, fixing our eyes on God's commandments and becoming transformed by the renewing of our lives helps us to form sober judgment about ourselves. Verse 3 warns us not to think more highly of ourselves as we ought to, but to think with sober judgment. By fixing our eyes on God's word, it becomes a mirror of our souls, helping to, helping to see ourselves in an accurate light, not too high and not too low. So then verse 7, we're getting to the end of it, and I'm going to make it to 12. I will praise you with an upright heart, and I will le- when I learn your righteous rules, the culmination of all our effort in seeking out and diligently keeping God's law is the benefit of enjoying praise. Here he brings praise and worship into the whole matter. What kind of praise and worship is acceptable to God? Praise and worship that is unhindered by sin. Notice that he says, I will praise you with an upright heart. And what that means is some a heart that is not unhindered by anything. It's like a straight path to God, completely clear of any hindrance. We read in uh, Psalm uh, 24, 3 to 4, it says, Who will ascend the, the hill of the Lord, and who will stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. It's having sincerity. It's having a clear and straight path, unhindered by idols. I, I wanted to even mention, like in our, in our studies by Tim Keller, he talks about idolatry. And if you haven't been to any of those Sunday school classes, you, you, won't, you, you missed out on, on some really good stuff by Tim Keller. But he talks about how, how every one of us has idols. Every one of us has idols. Answer this question. If I had blank, my life would be, I would be happy. What goes into the blank? If I had a motorcycle, (laughs) I would be happy. If I had a million dollars, I'd be happy. If I had a girlfriend, I'd be happy. If I had good marks in school, I'd be happy. What is that thing that's in the blank? If God does not exist in that blank, that thing, whatever that thing is, is your idol. That, that's quite shocking. And, and Tim Keller talks about how idolatry is not reserved to the Old Testament where they all worship statues and stuff like that. It's on the very fringe of everything that we do. It's so, it's so profound. It's just quite amazing. That, and we have to think about that. What are my idols? What are your idols? Think of them. You got them. I know you have. I have them. We all have them. And, and the process of living the Christian life is getting rid of those things so that we can have an upright heart, a clear passageway to God, unhindered by anything that is an idol, sin, any of that. We have to get rid of that. And so I will praise you with an upright heart. And how do you get there? When I learn your righteous rules. Again, it's, it's going back to the word of God, having it change your life, being transformed by it. Uh, the New Testament speaks of worshiping God 
with sincerity and truth. 1 Corinthians 5.8 says, Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. When I learn your righteous rules, I will be able to praise you with an upright heart. The more one learns God's law, the deeper and more meaningful worship is. So there's this aspect of a new commitment to worship. And so having that upright heart is is necessary. And then the last point here um, is verse 8. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Uh, The psalmist ends the section acknowledging salvation is not secure by keeping God's statutes. Again, this goes back to our very first and main idea that salvation is by grace alone. He, he says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. In, an, in another sense, he realizes and recognizes the fact that all of this keeping of statutes and doing all of this does not merit his salvation. I can be utterly forsaken, completely disgraced, and completely left by you. But God is not like that. God is a loving God. God loves you and wants you to be, to be right with him. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And if you, if you have sinned, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God forgives sin and does it freely and not by any works of the law, but by what Jesus Christ has done. His righteousness is what gets us to God. It's based upon Christ's righteousness. And that's what the gospel is all about. It's about being saved by grace through faith, through Christ alone. I will keep your statutes is to say that I will work diligently to obey God's law, but with the understanding that all my hard work does not provide for my salvation. I am dependent on you to keep and secure me. We're done. End of show. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to to look at the word. and, And as we've covered some very important principles of what it means to be a Christian, um, pray that we'd be able to take it away to be able to to accept these laws of grace which is absolute primary believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved it's so important but then as we embark in the in the goal of seeking to know your law and to obey your laws which are absolute and certain and have to be lived perfectly, we come to understand that the Holy Spirit is doing that work in us and that the gospel is free to anyone who would believe. So we th- I thank you for these people here and the blessing of Jesus upon them as they think about these things today. And so God, go with us and bless us by the power of your Spirit. And if there's anybody here that has never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and given their life to him, I pray that they would do that today. And at least this year, bring them to the place where you want them to be. You love them, and you want them to be in a relationship with them. And so we thank you for all of this. 
In Jesus' name, amen.